Welcome, everyone, to this very special edition of Customer Experience Radio. I'm your host, Jill Hynek, and I'm a business owner, real estate advisor, and customer experience enthusiast. Some of you may not know that I helped start the Southeast region of Keller Williams Realty International back in 1999. It's the world's largest real estate company, by the way. It has been a wild ride ever since, which is why I'm super excited about our guest today. Jay Papazan is a best-selling author that serves as the Vice President of Learning for Keller Williams Realty, as well as Vice President of Keller, Inc., and is co-owner alongside his wife, Wendy, of Papazan Properties with Keller Williams Realty in Austin, Texas. In 2003, Jay co-authored The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, a million-copy bestseller, and for some of us, a business Bible, whether you're with Keller Williams or not. He wrote this alongside the great Dave Jenks who was once my coach back in the day, and Gary Keller, co-founder and current CEO of Keller Williams Realty International. Jay's most recent work with Gary on The One Thing has sold over 2 million copies worldwide and garnered more than 500 appearances on national bestseller lists. The premise of the book is to give the reader tools on how to become laser-focused on the one thing that will propel your business, marriage, life, family, etc. forward. Perfect for today's discussion. Welcome, Jay. Thank you, Jill. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you. So one of the business uh, biggest attractions for me when I came to work with Keller Williams was that um, Gary's commitment, even early on then, was to encourage agents to build their brand uh, under the Keller Williams umbrella and really deemed us as agent partners. And so for this discussion today um, around customer experience, we're talking about really the internal customer from this perspective. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to get an idea of if you could give us a little bit more about the leadership journey and what the discussions were around, you know, this concept. From Keller Williams Realty, we think of the agent as our customer, not the buyer or seller. Is that what you're referring right. to? Exactly. Absolutely. And what's weird is our actual legal customer is the franchisee, <laughs> right. right? So, yeah, there's there's a little wormhole of labyrinthine customers here, <laughs> but the reality is we're a franchise company, so the broker right? The franchisor is our customer, but Gary understood pretty early on that success on a local level was about the reputation and quality of the local agent and the business they brought. So he made all of his success measures. If we become this, the company of choice for the best agents, then everything else will follow. The franchisees will attract the best agents. They'll have the most buyers and sellers. So it was very much a one thing principle before the one thing was around, But the first domino is how do we attract, how do we get in business with the highest quality, the most successful agents, and just the most of them? Because a lot of times the quality comes from the quantity as well. So that's where that philosophy comes from and everything. I mean, we prize people who've been in the real estate business. My wife runs one of the top real estate teams in the country. You know, we want people with direct experience with the agent experience so that we're always creating the best tools for them. It's a, it's deeply embedded philosophy here. That's what has been, you know, really an eye opener for me as I talk to agents from other companies, whereas um, there might be some things that are going on internally that a lot of things that can happen that fall on deaf ears. And what I'm finding is that we have had such a phenomenal, even in the last five years, the biggest changes have been the agents have spoken and leadership has responded. And so when I talk about the customer experience, I'm talking about my experience as an agent within Keller Williams and how that's enabling me to bring the best experience possible to my end user, the buyer and the seller. 
So I'd love for you to touch a little bit more on how internally y'all are working on trying to keep the franchisors, um, giving them the best tools they can to provide the rest of us the tools that we need to, for the end. You know, if there, is there anything fun or is there a one thing that you'd like to share with us about what's happening behind the scenes? So there's, there's a lot happening behind the scenes. Um, I think when I first really got to know Gary, um, this would have been back in 2000 and summer of 2002, I had worked in the company for a couple of years. Um, I bumped into him in the bathroom because, and I broached the topic that I hear you're writing a book, right? Cause I'd come from publishing that sparked a whole conversation. And the thing I remember is that day was the day he dedicated it. And, and back in the early two thousands, at least two days a month, he would spend all day just talking to our top agents. Mm-hmm. So he would carve out a huge amount of time to have one-on-one conversations with our top performers and, you know, you, you hang around with Gary and he's like, be like, Jill, what are the big challenges that are you facing? What's working well for you? Lots and lots of curiosity. So he's always leaned in to what are they experiencing? What do they need? So the closer you get to the field, the people who are doing 100, I mean, back then 100 transactions was a lot. Right. We have about five agents who are doing over 1,000 transactions now. Right. 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 So you talk to those people, they have a deep sense of what's needed. And so it started with, I would call it entrepreneurial conversations. That was just Gary being Gary, a great entrepreneur. Now we've ensconced, we call them labs, but Mm -hmm. we actually have a whole division of our company. A lot of other companies, we call it focus groups, (laughs) but we actually design all of our products, whether they be education or technology, we bring the best of the best in and we say, what is it you're looking for? And I've been in these rooms And they'll literally hand out like 11 by 17 paper with a blank screen of computers on it or blank screens of mobile phones on it and saying, let's draw the experience. So if you opened up your phone and you were trying to host an open house on your phone, what would that look like? And granted, I mean, there's a huge gap between what the average person thinks technology should be and the technologist. But having the technologist in the room with top performers has been a game changer for us. Um, And it's also allowed us to set... Um, I think better and better expectations with our customers because we understand what their pain point is. We can communicate it back to them clearly. We've heard from them what we think the solution is, and we use our expertise to translate that to actually a best practice. So um, from direct conversations with your customers, right now we have very formal ones. We call them labs. I think that that is the, the test kitchen. The big secret behind a lot of our success is our willingness to take longer to ask the question, what do we need? And then go all in on those solutions and really be dedicated. Our current technology platform, I mean, we're just coming into the light in my mind. We're five years into this journey. I mean, that takes a huge commitment when you're already number one to blow up your business and say, let's recreate it from the ground up. But that's Gary Keller. That's who we work for. Mm-hmm. And and I am a beneficiary of that. So, and I really appreciate where that has come from. And I know that no matter what, nothing's perfect. Um, but we certainly have come light years from where we were, like you said, five years ago, or even five years before that. But I'm think I'm seeing a lot of. Um, we're talking a lot about pivoting during this this pandemic time. We're talking a lot about how can we continue to serve um, and still have these opportunities for agents to grow, even though we're in, we're still in a learning phase, right? With labs, it's still, it's just going to continue to evolve. I I think it's a, it's a discipline for the business. I don't think it's a phase. 
I think it's a, I see it as an evolution to Gary. I mean, he started that practice in the early nineties of spending a few days a month with his top people and then masterminding four times a year. We've just taken that process and made it a business practice and ask, how do we get more of our top people in the building who are designing products and courses really in tune with what's happening in the field so that we can keep our products really, really relevant. And here's the trick. Like when you said, it's not perfect. The joke in the building is like, Jill, if you don't like it, you and your peers help design it. So help us fix it. And it's an interesting, it's, it's part of our culture, right? It's a we culture, not an I and they, right? Um, And we're going to do it together, right? And we're going to share the blame when it doesn't work. And we're going to be accountable when it doesn't work. And we're going to fix it together. And that's just been a fairly unique hallmark of our culture, this willingness of people that are paying to be in business with us to roll up their sleeves and say, I want to have a voice in this process. I want to have agency so that I can help make this experience even better for me and my customers. Um, It's fairly unusual, fairly unusual, I think, in business. I agree. Um, And so I'd love to delve in a little bit deeper regarding um, what you mentioned about franchisors and, you know, when someone is looking to looking to Keller Williams as a possible option, I mean, is there one or two or top three things that you would have that person really bear in mind um, when they're approaching Keller Williams about becoming a franchisor? Um, I think it's not for everyone. Right. Um, I think that uh, it used to be we've never had a franchise sales department. I think early on when Gary was selling, I mean, this is the early 90s when he was selling, we got in business with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. So now it's much more of a selection process. So I think come from curiosity. Um, I think unlike a lot of franchises, it's not, I don't consider it a passive investment. Um, it is a, I think, a very complex business instrument our franchise, right? We run a big model. Um, Our average number of agents in one of our market centers is around 170. The closest competitor is going to be about 60. So we run a very much kind of like a Walmart, but with a lot of the perks you would think from the higher end stores. Um, We have good margins. I think 95% of our franchises are profitable on an annual basis. It goes up and down plus or minus 2%, but it's extremely high percentage. But I don't think it's like a, it's not something you just buy and let your third cousin run for you. Um, You want to be actively engaged if you want to get the most out of it. Um, And I think you really want to look hard at our culture. Is this the culture I want to be a part of? I think that's the thing that most people who love our company love the most about it. But I also admit it's not for everyone, right? Um, We're a team. We're interdependent on each other um, versus being independent. Um, Even though as independent franchise owners, they have a lot of independence, but they choose to give some of that up. So I don't know. It's a quirky place. I think it's a fabulous business to own. I own um, part of a franchise in my hometown of Memphis, and it's got a fabulous rate of return. And it's gotten a lot of my family involved. My sister's now an assistant team team leader in that office, which makes me so happy to see my sister, my big sister, getting into leadership in the company I'm so fond of. But it is a special place, and we're growing worldwide. I don't know. We're in 40 countries now. Um, That culture has really attracted a lot of people. And I think that's why, in terms of the number of agents who want to be in business with us, we've been number one for a while. And I think the culture is number one. So it's not a passive investment. It's not for everyone. Just because you can write a check doesn't mean you get one. Um, And you should definitely check out the culture and say, is this something I want to be a part of? If you, if you, most people fall in love pretty quickly, then you'll know like this is worth pursuing. 
Right. And I noticed that early on in, in the late 90s that, you know, there were a lot of people throwing checks around and a lot of people got them thrown back right at them. Yeah. So it was just really interesting. The top players were just not even it wasn't even a conversation. So um, I find that to be very attractive because the selection process does make a huge difference and that does impact the culture. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. I well, mean, you know that you helped run one of the regions, right? I mean, that, who you're in business with matters. That is one of our um, really big cultural values um, that we will get out of business with high performers that don't match our culture. Right. Right. And we've seen that happen on the local level here. What would you say the definition of the uh, the customer or agent experience is for Keller Williams? When we're talking about oh, you, know, you sent me that question in advance and I struggled with it. And it's because it's always evolving, right? I think that right. we have a philosophy that every great business has three essential components. You have a value proposition. Right. Um, you have a service plan to deliver on your value proposition. So it's not just a false promise. So right. here's what we do for you that's special. Here's how we do it consistently. And then, you know, this, we believe in the database, the power of the database, um, that we're going to run a relationship business and stay in touch. So I've seen our value proposition to the agents change. When I first joined the company, we were a profit sharing company. Very quickly thereafter, when we launched uh, Maps Coaching, our, which is now the, the largest coaching company in the industry, even though they can only coach KW people, right? Um, we, for many years, said that we were a coaching and training company. And on that, we, I mean, we've given the profit share, let's just call it there. We've given out $1.4 billion historically in terms of profit share. So that's no false promise. We give, we've made, um, as of last I month, can attest 90, to that. <laughs> yeah, as of last month, we've made 90 millionaires just from that one right. program. Right. And that's the direct benefits. We have no idea if they reinvested that money for more, um, as a training and coaching company, um, we were named number one by training magazine so many times. We're now in the training magazine hall of fame. Just so right. it was kind of like when they created, uh, the children's hardcover book list in the New York times, because they were so tired of seeing Harry Potter taking all the spots in the fiction. Right. right? So they just create a whole new list. Um, and today we're a technology company and it, it evolves. And I think if you're going to stay relevant, um, it's a particularly dangerous thing when you become number one to think that how we got here is how we stay here. And right. Gary, it's it's very disruptive too, right? Mm -hmm. If you're constantly blowing up your value proposition, but you have to ask, what does the next generation need? What is the next, here's the really morose question, but it's a great business question for everyone listening. What does the company that puts us out of business look like? And how do I mm -hmm. become that tomorrow? And Gary's always asking like, who is the biggest threat to us? And how do we just become that instead of let them attack us? And we would do that within reason. We wouldn't um, become something that didn't match our values. Right. But like, that's how, like, we asked that question about five years ago. And everybody's like, well, look at Zillow, look at Trulia, you know, the next look at, you know, um, Redfin or whatever. It's going to be a tech company, most likely in 10 years that's dominant. So it's like, great, mm -hmm. let's go become one. So I think when you ask, what is the definition of the customer experience? You have to ask that question every year. That would right. be my answer. I wish I could give you, and here's the, the formula, but it, the formula right. is always be adapting so that you're always relevant to your customers. And again, that goes back to what you were saying, you know, 
What is your value prop? How are you delivering the value prop? And then how are you delivering it like in 2020, in 2021, in 2022? So it will evolve and change. But as long as you are stating this, right, and being transparent with the customer, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's where, that's where these top producing agents and franchises are doing well. Um, and how often, I mean, do you really see a market center go away because they just lost it? They lost the culture. They've lost kind of momentum. I mean, how often does that really happen? You know, we have, um, about, I don't know, 850 of our franchise offices. We call them market centers. If someone's listening and doesn't know what that means, um, maybe one a year, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's at the very tail end well, and that almost yeah. always comes from um, what's always rises and falls with leadership, that there was some massive mistake with leadership. The culture went awry and that created a situation. And a lot of times what we do is either those offices that do sometimes close or we'll just merge them in, right? Say, look, why don't you take a smaller portion of a better run office? Y'all merge and a lot of times what we see is the people who fled maybe the bad atmosphere will then coalesce around the new opportunity um, and we can quickly write that, you know, situation. Right. Which I think, you know, fantastic. It's not like it just somebody just loses. They can at least potentially have another option. Yeah, it doesn't always happen that way. Right. I mean, but no. I do think that. uh one of the people who was looking to get in business with us hired an attorney to look into our litigious background. And for a company our size, um, the report's out there on the web somewhere. He like ended up publishing it. Like it's one of the least litigious places ever. And we've had our fair share. You know, we've gone through a couple of CEOs in the last five years. We've had our turmoil. We've had our moments, but we generally get it right in the end. And I think that, uh, I think one of the values of we don't want to have to go to court. We don't want to have our like, corporate attorneys enforce these things, find right. a win-win, right? In our cultural, you know, win-win is the first thing in our value system, right. win-win or no deal. Right. Um, every win is not equal. It's not like you get 50 and I get 50. It might be you get 25 and I get 75, but you didn't get zero. So I think that they're always looking for how can we right. make this a win? Um, because I got to tell you over the long run, just avoiding the litigation makes being a little bit generous in all those situations, even for people who may not completely deserve it, is absolutely a great best practice. Absolutely. So pick, pick an internal customer. What is the one thing that you would do to improve the internal customer experience at the moment? You said the magic words, the one thing, right? Our book, mm-hmm. The One Thing. Right. And every training that we've ever created around this, everything I've learned, this goes all the way back to my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to have an amazing customer experience, everything rides and falls in how you set expectations. If we set expectations properly, the customer experience will go well. Right. And um, it's so funny. My wife, you know, they do, you know, a couple hundred transactions a year and I'll, you know, I'm married to a realtor, right? So <laughs> we're always kind of on, right? She'll get a call. We're driving around like in, in, in Corona. You know, one of the things that we do sometimes is we either take the dog for a long walk in the afternoons or sometimes we'll go, we never drive our cars anymore. You just want to drive around the neighborhood and, you know, we'll get a call. And it's so funny. Almost all of the challenges we have with consumers can be traced back to a poor setting of expectations. Even when things go wrong. Hey, Jill, the reason I'm calling you today is we got bad news from the appraiser and here's what we're going to do to handle it, right? 
But when we don't communicate exactly what's happening and what will happen in, in a way that our customers can hear it and actually internalize it, we're always going to be, even when we deliver, we'll be faced with maybe a poor customer experience. So to me, it's all about how, how do we set expectations? How can we do it better in the future? That's right. And I found that each time that I don't set the expectation with the client or if I deviate from what I normally do, like having both decision makers at the initial appointment or Mm -hmm. on the initial call, anytime there's deviation there, it almost always will have a hiccup or 10. Yeah. Then you're backpedaling and trying to fix it. So um, that I appreciate so much. And I agree 100%. Um, So now when we're talking about you know, you're on the technology, there's the technology team, there's the learning team, there's the um, the ops team. So how are you coaching your teams internally to really deliver on the experience, the customer experience to whomever we're discussing, whether it's the franchisee or um, the agent, et cetera? So, um, you know, our president is Josh Team. Um, he comes from a software background and he wants things to be predictable. He wants things to be measurable. And he is, I mean, he's like a chess champion, kind of smart guy, right? Um, So he can do a lot of the stuff in his head. His intuition is very smart, uh, but he really looks to data. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that without without it also being like this chore, um, what we try to do is be really clear going into a new initiative is what's going to be our success measure? And I think with a lot of entrepreneurs, we know a good idea when we hear it, right? And because we're entrepreneurs, we're good at pivoting quickly and moving to it. And I think Keller Williams is incredibly agile. In the last couple of years, though, under Josh's leadership, with our, we have a, an executive leadership team that I get to be a part of, um, we work together and say, look, we have some corporate initiatives that we know are, are, are top four or five. Does this new thing actually serve those? Or are we just doing something because it's new? So I think a little bit of, it's not, can we do it? It's, should we do it? And if we do it, how will we know we're successful? And asking that question up front forces us to build in some sort of tracking mechanism. You know, it might be like, I know like a lot of agents, you know, who do like a net promoter score, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. anything super simple on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to refer me to one of your friends? It's just one question, but it gives them kind of a canary in the coal mine. So they know when things are going off the rails. Um, and they also know when they can sit back and go, you know, this is good. And I can look at my key metric. That's my leading indicator of success that's working. So we try to, we try to do that as much as we can without it becoming burdensome. Cause I'll also say, if you have everybody on your team, you know, constantly checking things off on a Google spreadsheet, that becomes a chore that takes some of the joy out right. of it. So if we can track it automatically, that's the beauty of our tech platform. More and more of this is getting automated but we still right. rely on surveys. So I think that, one, should we be doing this? Is it truly something that we need to be getting into? And if so, what is the higher goal that it serves and how will we know we're successful? I think if you just ask a couple of questions before you dive in, that helps everybody on the team. One, they know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how they can be successful, right? If we know what the measure is this, then how do we make that measure go up? That's how Southwest Airlines, right? They So much of their model came from the low-cost airlines. They were very clear that one of their their goals was to be the low-cost airlines because they wanted people to be able to travel. And that's why we had the cattle calls. That's why they only serve snacks. 
that's why, you know, I mean, frankly, like a lot of their um, airline um, flight attendants are practically comedians, right? Because they're not going to wine and dine yet. They're just going to have to make it fun. And so I think when everybody knows what we're doing and why we're doing it, it allows some innovation to bubble up to make those things happen faster too. Absolutely. I think that um, during this time, this crazy time we're in, um, have you seen a change in attitude in your teams regarding delivering or are are you able to continue to uh, pump them up from Zoom and whatever else we're using to keep everybody engaged? Well, I'm an introvert, right? So a lot of people don't know that, but I am a writer, right? Fundamentally, I like to create things. So I like to live in my cave. I'm, I'm here in the office. I'm one of like two people on this whole right. floor and I'm happy. I, don't, I close my door. I'm very effective. Right. Um, so pumping people up is not necessarily my style. Um, <laughs> I want to communicate that it's a mission. Um, like, you know, a lot of my staff, I've got the, our video team, I've got our publishing team and our, you know, our instructional design team, which is the, the course writing. Right. Um, they're craftspeople. And what they want and value is to know that they made great work and it had an impact. So for me, it's no harder or easier through this medium, right, of right. Slack and Zooms. Just remind them that, like, this is a mission moment. Like, when we went into this, I kind of gathered the troops and said, learning is what is going to get people through this. They're going to have to adapt their businesses um, or they're going to go out of business. Like it's really life or death for a lot of small businesses right now. This is our moment. So as hard as it is for us with our kids at home, um, we're afraid for our parents and our grandparents. We're dealing with the same things, but we get a paycheck every 15 days. Mm -hmm. They are relying on a sales commission that is not guaranteed. So we have a duty, we have a mission. And I, I saw a lot of people rally around the mission because we have a job to do. And now is the time that we get to write the story. My coach, um, Abe Shreve, I don't know if you know him, but you had mm-hmm. Dave Jinx as your coach. So you know what a great coach yeah. does for you. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times they just ask great questions. They don't even give you the answers. But probably two weeks into this, um, we were curating about 40 live courses a week. Um, because we wanted to offer it to the industry, we started up a Facebook group that grew from zero to 77,000, like in a month mm-hmm. and a half. Um, it became the second largest Facebook group in our industry, like overnight. And we were just sharing free education. Um, he said to me, what is the story you want to tell about this time when it's done? He goes, right now is the time you get to author that. So be very clear. Are you going to talk about how you got in great shape? how you cleared out all of your Netflix, you know, series that you wanted to watch, right? There are a lot of people that are writing this out on the couch and that's okay. That might be exactly what they need to do. But he asked me, what's the story that you want to write? And I asked that of my team and we said, we want to be, make a difference. So um, I think that uh, there's a lot of challenges to working remotely. I think that um, ironically people are far more productive but they're also teetering on burnout much faster Correct. because the kind of work, like there's no transition time, right? right. You drop one screen, you open another. Um, right. There's no transition between your home's workspace and your workspace. So right. people are kind of at work all the time if they're not careful. So right. there's really good things in productivity. There's very bad things. And like, how do we onboard new people? How do we teach them culture, right? There's all these challenges, but the net is we can still do our job. 
and we have a mission. It's not just a job. We have a mission to fulfill. That's what we've been rallying around. And I've seen great realtors do it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have never been more aware of their homes than they are right now. That they're trapped true. in it, right? <laughs> they're like, wow, I never thought I would need two home offices, but now I, maybe I need a bigger space. That's exactly what's happening. And I will tell you that, um, again, I'm a beneficiary of the amazing training that started right when we were coming into coronavirus. And every single morning I'm listening to you and Gary and and these amazing agents who are sharing what they're doing during this time. And I think that it's been, it's made a big impact on how I'm pivoting for 2021. So I'm kind of, 2020 is still here. (laughs) So don't get me wrong. We're still working here. Um, But for 2021, we're going to be in a prime position. So I thank you because you, I know you guys have been working really hard behind the scenes. And as an agent customer, I appreciate that so much. And I know my office will talk once a week on what KWRI is doing for us and and who is benefiting from it and who can share what they've learned. Maybe I didn't get on all the calls they did. So kudos to you and your team. You're doing a fantastic job. Well, kudos really to you and your leadership that. too. I think that we look at the market and I think we're down overall about 30%. But when I talk to our top people, a lot of them are at least matching last year's numbers or better. And when you think about a 30% drop in the market and you're still doing as good as you did last year, that's a big increase. And what we talk about, we wrote in a book called Shift about this, the time to grab market share is in a down market. That's right. Right? This is the opportunity. And we usually just admonish people. It's like it's an equal opportunity sport, but right. it has unequal rewards. So go get your unfair share of the market. Right. Get your unfair share. And when the last recession happened, We went into it number four and came out of it number one, right? So we've lived this multiple times. So I just think that if you have the right leadership and we can focus on the opportunity, like I love what you said, 2021, Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing in our industry, the work that you do today at best is laying a platform for income 90 days down the road, right? That's right. 60 to 90 days. But the reality is that when you work for tomorrow's dollars instead of today's dollars, you know, we talk about internet leads. Oh, only, you know, two to 5% of those convert. No, only two to 5% of those convert in the first, you know, 12 months. But over a five-year period, virtually 100, I mean, people move every seven years. You know, 80% of those will. If you're playing the long game and laying a foundation, um, that is the key. And that was the thing I asked Gary. I was with him, believe it or not, in the 2000s. He started this company in the early 80s. And I was with him when he took his first million dollars out of the business. And I said, are you kidding me? Because I know franchisees that have taken a million dollars in a year out of their business, right? And he's like, nope. He goes, I was intent on laying a bigger and bigger foundation. And every time I thought I could just take the money and do something with it, I realized I could invest in another person. I could invest in another something. And that would lay just a bigger foundation for the future. And And that platform from 96 to, I think, 2006, our company grew by 40% on average year over year. Like it laid a foundation for pretty unparalleled growth. So my admonition is to do like Jill. If you're laying a foundation for your 2021, that is our opportunity. Can we protect the best talent in our business? Can we wrap our arms around the best and most loyal customers? And know that this year is the goals that we set in January, just chuck those out the window. We may be laying a foundation for something really great next year. I absolutely agree with that. 
I would be interested to hear what has been um, a recent, you know, surprise and delight story that you've experienced either with a company or with a service person, uh, anything off the top of your head? Yeah, I, I thought about this. Like I always go back, if you've ever read, there's a book by Derek Sivers called Anything You Want. It's a real short book. He started a company in, I think, 1999 called CD Baby. And the thing that made him famous is he's running this little shop, you know, where he's just got a couple of workers and they're packaging up CDs for artists and putting them in the mail. He wrote a really exquisite um, thank you letter when someone made a purchase. It's like, hey, you know, our team is carrying a picture of you around the office. And like, it was really funny and it was really cute. He took what was a, you know, here's your order number and tracking right, to something that was actually a really fun laugh, like, wow, laugh out loud experience. And I love it when I find moments that should be mundane, but a great customer service advocate has said, we can just make this, can we just make this fun? So um, we shop at the local co-op. So this is all set up. We have a a cooperative called the Wheatsville Co-op. It's a really old grocery store in Austin um, that used to be run by hippies, and it's run just a little bit better now. But we go in for the organic food and stuff, and Wendy and I go shopping. And you know those little dots they put on the floor just so that you know that you're six feet apart? Right. I look down at the dot, right? You don't even read it anymore. You know what it is. And it said, um, um, please stay six feet apart, approximately the, the width of a Mangiosaurus or 12 breakfast tacos. And it just cracked me up. And I was like, okay, they just they did that little extra thing. They put a picture of a dinosaur on there, and they reminded us, because Austin's a, a breakfast taco town, um, right. that that's part of our image. So they took something ordinary. They, no one would spend any time, and they gave you just a little bit of delight. So right. I love those moments. Um, I love it when I hear that our realtors do that, and they find ways to make a, a closing, which is a big moment, Right. But what about the first time you meet someone? Can you make that a special moment? That first email you get, how do we make those kind of throwaway moments special? Because no one else is focused on it. No one else put that effort into that dot. And that's what made that experience stand out and be worthy of talking about. Right? If you only focus on the milestones that everybody else does, you're competing with them. Right? So, you know, in baseball, they say hit them where they ain't. Right? That's how you get a baseball hit. Right. So our top agents often do this with lead generation, too. If everybody's stopping with postcards, they amp up their postcards. Right. We saw that in the last shift. Nobody could afford them. So our top agents said, hey, I'm not just going to send postcards. I'm going to spend like 11, you know, eight by 11 and a half like glossies. You know, I'm going to stand out. So look for ways that not just that you can provide an interesting service, but provide an interesting service that's worthy of conversation. I love it. I love it. That I mean, I think that's where we that's where we close out our conversation because I don't even know how you could <laughs> top that, honestly. Okay. I, so it's the breakfast pre- tacos, right? It's the breakfast. I mean, tacos. the taco. Well, first of all, I'm starving now, um, but that that is, I think, an excellent piece of advice for our listeners. Um, Jay, you've been absolutely incredible. I really appreciate your time and your leadership and you know, all the sharing that you have done on your podcast is great. So I'm kind of, I'm a big J fan, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate it. And I want to thank everyone out there for listening. I'm proud to share this show with you as these stories prioritize the customer experience as a legit business strategy, reminding us that no matter what business you are in, whether it be real estate, consulting, marketing, writing, the customer experience should always be the heart of the business. 